Well, as Johnny said, today we are beginning a, uh, a new series on the subject of prayer. And the approach that we're going to take is the same approach that Jesus' disciples took about 12, or over 2,000 years ago. Our approach as we move toward this immense topic is to approach our Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And who better to teach us to pray than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers. He turned the money changers' tables over in the temple and declared that the temple should be a house of prayer. In Luke 5.16, it tells us that Jesus often withdrew to solitary places to, for prayer. Hebrews 5.7 says that while Jesus lived on the earth, he prayed to God and asked God for help. He prayed with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and his prayer was heard because he trusted God. Luke 3 tells us that after his baptism, it was as Jesus was praying that the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him. And then in Luke 9, we see Jesus transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. When he, when he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. The entirety of John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples and for us in the church the night before that he was arrested. And then later that same evening, we see him praying and um, to our Heavenly Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing over what was about to take place and all the suffering he would incur. Yet he surrendered. In that prayer, he surrendered to God's will. And then finally, he died praying. As a man, he modeled prayer better than anyone, but as God in the flesh, he is the best teacher of prayer because he knows exactly what God looks for in our prayers. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him teach us how to pray. Now, when you came in this morning, um, we asked you to fill out this little brief survey, just one question with one of five answers, um, just to sort of um, gauge where we're at. And, And these are not meant to make you feel guilty by any means, uh, but to just sort of give us a starting place um, and help us see where, you know, where we're at and where, how far we grow, okay? Um, and what we didn't tell you is if you didn't answer, if you didn't fill one of these out, you have to raise your hand when I read it up. Okay? No, I'm kidding. Um, so here's the results. Um, we actually had nobody check the first box that said, my prayer life is non-existent. So that's good, right? Yeah. Um, the second question, typically I only pray before meals or when I need something. 9% of us check that box. The third question, I pray more when I'm overwhelmed with needs, but not so much when life is good. 20% of us check that one. The fourth one, uh, my prayer life is okay, but I wish it was better. Um, 60%, so the majority of us said that that was where we land. And then there was 11% who said, 
Spending time with God in prayer is the most important part of my day, and I let nothing get in the way of it. So, that last statement, that's our goal. That's our goal as we go through this study and reach the end of it. My hope and prayer for each and every one of you is that as we journey through this series, that spending time with your Heavenly Father in prayer each day would become the most important non-negotiable of your life. And my hope for you today, all we're going to do today is just introduce the series. My hope for you today is just to encourage you and inspire you to begin taking the necessary steps to elevate your prayer life to non-negotiable status and embark on the lifelong journey of seeking, relating, communing, and even wrestling with God in prayer. And see, I think where many of us fall short is that, you know, we have these busy lifestyles and we have this propensity to want instant gratification. I think a lot of us are just barely scratching the surface of what prayer should be. And because we don't see what we want to see um, in, in the amount of time that we want to see it, we sort of become dissatisfied and we abandon it. Um, Tim Keller, a uh, prominent pastor in New York City, writes how he moved from just scratching the surface um, of, of prayer to making it the most important non-negotiable of his life. He writes this, In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife Kathy struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all of this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a, such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to doing it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget and you would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. He goes on to say, maybe it was the power of the illustration, or maybe it was the right moment. Maybe it was the Spirit of God. Or most likely of all, it was the Spirit of God using the moment and the clarity of, of the metaphor. For both of us, the penny dropped. We realized the seriousness of the issue, and we admitted that anything that was truly a non-negotiable necessity was something we could do. That was more than 12 years ago, 
And Kathy and I can't remember missing a single evening of praying together, at least by phone, even when we were, we were apart in different hemispheres. Kathy's jolting challenge, along with my own growing conviction that I just didn't get prayer, led me into a search. I wanted a far better personal prayer life. I began to read widely and experiment in prayer. As I looked around, I quickly came to see that I was not alone. I think all of us at one time or another have felt alone in our struggle to have a consistent prayer life. But the great news is we're not alone. The survey proved that. <laughs> the vast majority of us struggle and wish it was better. Um, but from the patriarchs of the old covenant to Jesus' 12 disciples to you and I here in this room, anyone who has ever had a relationship with, with God has experienced the struggle of relating and conversing with and trusting a God that we can't engage with our senses. But just because it's difficult doesn't minimize its absolute necessity. On the contrary, I think its difficulty is proof of its great value. I mean, think about it. Is it can you think of anything that is of great value that comes easy? No. So since our prayer life is that valuable, we can no longer afford to let it go by the wayside. We must fight for it. We must be willing to sacrifice our schedules for it. We must be willing to sacrifice our comfort and convenience for it. We must make it the most important non-negotiable of our lives. So, with the time we have left... I simply want to just inspire you to set out on this journey and make this the most important thing. There's no outline for you to fill today, but instead of an outline, there's a sheet of paper with a whole bunch of scriptures that we're going to go through. And I encourage you to follow along as we go through these. Um, But most importantly, I want you to just sort of sit back and let the Holy Spirit do his job and convince you. Let the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out and convince you that embarking on this journey toward a rich prayer life is a journey well worth taking. Y'all with me? Okay. Um, So let's begin by looking at the passage where one of Jesus' disciples um, asks him to teach them how to pray. Luke 11, begin with verse 1, says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying... As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now what's interesting is that this is exactly what Jesus had taught earlier at his Sermon on the Mount. Maybe this particular disciple wasn't there that day, or maybe he's just a slow learner like a lot of us, right? Um, But Jesus doesn't deviate 
from his earlier teaching when the disciple asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. But at his teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus prefaces that, that same teaching um, by pointing us to a critically important, important component of prayer, and that is faith. So let's look at the Matthew passage, Matthew chapter 6. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. And let's all um, say this together, shall we? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I grew up in a religion that taught its adherents to repeat that prayer multiple times at a time. Um, In fact, every time I went to confession, the priest would tell me that I had to repeat this prayer ten times in a row as as penance. And I remember my friend only had to do it five times, so apparently I was twice the sinner he was. But Jesus clearly didn't mean for us to just repeat this prayer. Because in verse 7, he says, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So if repeating these words, um, these exact, if it's not repeating these exact words, then apparently this prayer is meant to serve as an outline. And that's the outline that we're going to follow over the next seven weeks. We're going to take this apart. There's seven components to this prayer we're going to take a take a look at each one and dive deep into each and every one of them over the next seven weeks and allow jesus to teach us the the way to pray um, the way god wants us to engage him but notice again what he says in verse um, five and six he says when you pray don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them i tell you the truth that's all the reward they'll ever get But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. This is perhaps the most critical element of prayer, and it's faith. Okay, He's pointing us to faith here. And he does so by confronting our motive. Right? Are you praying to be seen by other people so that they think, ooh, you're so spiritual? Jesus said, if that's your motive, that's the only reward you're going to get. And that doesn't require a lick of faith, does it? It doesn't require any faith 
to stand up and pretend to pray to God so that others can see you, right? Um, Now, does that mean we shouldn't pray publicly? No, of course not. There's tons of scriptures that talk about corporate prayer. But even in corporate prayer, we have to be careful of our motives, right? We can't do it just to be seen by others, right? Um, Because that requires no faith at all. It does, however, require faith to pray the way he prescribes. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Notice that he doesn't say, when you're, then your father who sees everything will hear you. It's almost like he assumes the fact that he's, God's going to hear you, right? No, the promise goes way beyond hearing to rewarding. And if God's going to reward us, then absolutely he's already heard us, right? Um, and again, this is where faith comes in. It takes absolutely no faith to pretend to pray to God to be seen by other people. But it does require faith to go to a solitary place, to pray privately to your Heavenly Father, and trust that he will make good in his promise. Um, and this isn't the only time we see this in the New Testament. Hebrews eleven six tells us, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is the most important part of our prayer life. Trusting that he is there when you pray, trusting that he hears you, and trusting that he will reward you. And what are all these rewards that he's referring to? Well, neither the Hebrews passage or Jesus in Matthew 6 tell us, go on to tell us exactly what these rewards are. But can we all agree that any reward that comes from our Heavenly Father is a reward worth having? Yeah, I think so. I mean, whatever those rewards might be, that's what awaits us as we pursue a rich prayer life. But I think the Apostle Paul had a, had a pretty good idea of the kinds of rewards that Jesus was alluding to and the writer of Hebrews was alluding to. In many of the letters that Paul wrote to the different churches that he planted and visited, um, he re- actually writes down the prayer that he's praying for them in the letter. Um, and so, and then we, as you look at all those prayers you see that the, the, the things that he prayed for those that he loved, it's amazing to see that he never once prayed for their circumstances to change. I mean, think about it. All the prayers that we pray, most of them are about our circumstances, aren't they? Paul never once does that. I mean, no doubt they faced many dangers and hardships. They faced persecution. They faced disease. They faced oppression. They faced separation of their loved ones because of the persecution they were enduring. Their existence was far less secure than ours is today. But in his prayers, there's not one request for a better circumstance. The number one thing that Paul prayed for those he loved the most, his spiritual children, was that they would know God better. Listen to what he, pray, he prays to, for the Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 11. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. 
We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you'll have the endurance and patience you need. What what do you think the endurance and patience are are for? The circumstances, right? He didn't pray for the circumstances. He prays for them internally. Listen to what he writes to the Philippians. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. In the letter, his letter to the Ephesians, Paul actually writes two prayers, one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 3. The first one, he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And then in chapter 3, he prays, He says, I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I mean, all those things he prayed are some pretty amazing rewards for simply seeking God and trusting him, aren't they? See, Paul understands that knowing God is far more rewarding than a change of circumstances. Without this sense of of knowing who God is, our good circumstances can lead to overconfidence and even a spiritual indifference. I think there's probably not a person in here who's not gone down that road to some degree. And then again, without this enlightened heart he prays for, bad circumstances can lead to discouragement and despair and hopelessness because God's love would just be this abstract concept rather than the infinitely consoling presence that it really is. So knowing God is far more valuable because it helps us in our circumstances. And knowing God better only comes through time spent with him. I mean, and then just being able to go to God is an incredible gift that's made possible through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, before Jesus died... Um, for each and every one of our sins, 
the only person who could enter into the presence of God was the high priest. And that was only after he fulfilled a, a whole list of regulations to purify himself. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled, and then he would sprinkle blood on, the blood of a lamb on, on the mercy seat in there for, to make atonement for the sins of the people. But Jesus put an end to all that. In Matthew 27, it, it's, it tells the story of his crucifixion. And in verse 50, it says, And then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And, and at that moment that Jesus died, God supernaturally ripped that curtain from top to bottom, signaling the beginning of a brand new covenant that for anyone who places their trust in Jesus, they can walk right into God's presence. And the writer of Hebrews has quite a bit to say about that. One, one passage in Hebrews 4 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And then in chapter 10, he goes on to say, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. That's a pretty amazing spiritual reality if you think about it. But this is what Jesus made available to you and I. The ability to walk right into God's presence. A holy God. Imperfect sinners. We can walk right into his presence because of Jesus' sacrifice. So why on earth would we dare to ever neglect it? I want to close with a quote from a guy by the name of John Owen. He was a 17th century English theologian who wrote a warning to popular and successful ministers of his day. And he says this, A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, and the mouths of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. When I first read that, it was obviously quite convicting. But I also realized it's not just true for ministers. It's true for everyone who follows Jesus. We may 
do all the things we do. We may have great success in doing all the things we do, all the things we chase after and all the things we, we pursue. We may have great, on the outside, appear to be great, very successful at those things. But in the end, what we are on our knees in secret before God Almighty, that we are and no more. Why? Because all the things of this life are going to pass away one day. And they won't mean a hill of beans. They won't mean a thing. It's only what we are on our knees in secret before God. That we are no more. And that's a sobering reality that should drive us to earnestly seek our Heavenly Father. So here's my challenge to you this week. The first one is this. If you don't already have this, establish a set time and place for you to earnestly seek God on a daily basis. Make it an appointment, make it a certain place, whatever. I don't care where it is, when it is. Just have a time set aside for just you and God. That's it. And it would be... I mean, if you, and even if you have a certain place that you can go to every day, that would, be, that would even be better. Uh, some of you may, your houses are such crazy that the only place you can get away is your car. That's okay. But whatever it is, whenever it is, set that. Make, it, make that a priority. And if you're too busy to do that, let's be honest, you're too busy. Right? You need to cut something out. I mean, this can't be a non-negotiable. You can't be too busy for non-negotiables, right? If it's a non-negotiable, then something else has got to give, right? And then the second thing is um, just take this um, outline that doesn't have any blanks, all these scriptures, um, and use Jesus' teaching on prayer as an outline, right? Don't... Just recite it. I don't think that's what it was meant for. I think it was meant as more of an outline. For, for example, the first phrase, Our Father who art in heaven, is just a, a approaching God with a posture of humility, recognizing who God is in relation to who we are, right? Uh, the second phrase, Hallowed be your name, that's praising and worshiping him. Take some time to worship God and praise him for all he's done for you and for who he is. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Is praying for God's will to be done, not only just on earth, but in your own life. Praying for his will. Give us this day our daily bread is, is, the, is when you ask for whatever it is you need. What's going on in your life? What do you need help with? What do you need wisdom for? What do you need provision for? What do you need healing for? This is where you ask for things. Forgive us, this, forgive us our sins as we forgive others uh, is a prayer for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil is a prayer for God's leading in our lives. And then the close, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, is just closing just like many of the Psalms do. I mean, I mean if, you, if you read through the Psalms, there are so many times that the psalmist is complaining or 
talking about this and talking about that, but they always end with acknowledging God and surrendering to him. And that's basically the end of the prayer. Acknowledging God and surrendering to him. That's basically the form that God wants us to pray in. So use this as an outline of prayer, not just to recite. And then these prayers that Paul prayed, I encourage you to pray them for yourself. Pray them for um, your loved ones. I mean, these prayers are awesome. <laughs> They're amazing. And if you put, just change the pronouns and to put them in first person or second person if you're praying for someone else, pray them. That's an awesome place to start. But I encourage you, this week, set a place in time, make this a non-negotiable, and just get started with what we already have. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for all that you do for us. I thank you, God, that we get to have a relationship with you. Thank you, God, that we get to live at, at this time and not back during the old covenant where we would have to bring a, a, an animal to be sacrificed and then the, have to rely on the high priest to go into your presence and make atonement for our sins. God, thank you that we can go right into your presence I mean, that's a spiritual reality a lot of us neglect and and overlook even. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see that incredible privilege that we have that's made available through your son. Help us, God, to not neglect that anymore. Help us to make this a non-negotiable. Help us that every day we would take time to be with you so that we can know you better that which is far more valuable than just a change in our circumstances God God I I confess for myself and, and I'm sure for every one of us here God that we're weak and we need your help in this help us to I pray that your spirit would remind us. I pray that your spirit would stir us. I pray that we would be so uncomfortable in our, in our daily routines that we would not be able to escape this, God. And Lord, I pray that as we do, we would sense the rewards that you talk about. That we would have an understanding and a sense of the rewards that Jesus promised for us that if we go into our solitary place and pray to you in private, that you'll reward us. Help us to not put what we expect those rewards to be in a box. Help us to just be in a position to receive all that you have for us and be amazed. I thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.